It's the beginning of Holy Week. It's not the way we had intended to celebrate Holy Week, but we're going to anyway, because that's who we are. We're people of faith, and we're closer to the end of this time of isolation, I believe, than we are to its beginning. And throughout it all, we are going to be joyful, we're going to be loving, we're going to be serving, and we are going to keep our faith. So let's talk about Palm Sunday. Even though we won't have kids up front waving palm fronds and there won't be a donkey out the side for the kids to go pet, it is still Palm Sunday. Um, calendars are very imprecise things, but they are the best way we can measure and they have been adjusted a few times over history to make sure that they most accurately show our progress through time. All that to say, this is most likely the anniversary day that Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a young donkey, a colt that, he had, that had, no one had ever ridden on before. And to do that was a dangerous thing for Jesus to do. It was not safe. Jesus had taught in Jerusalem before this day, but at this time in his life, with the reputation he had acquired through his teaching and his healing, this was dangerous. In fact, even getting close enough to Jerusalem to raise Lazarus from the dead was considered dangerous. And in John chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, he says to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet here you're going back there. In verse 16, then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Getting within three to five miles of Jerusalem, they considered suicide because there was a subset of the Jews. The vast majority of the Jews did not want to harm Jesus. Mark says that the common people hurt him gladly. This is a small group. It is the religious elite and the political elite gathering together to keep their power. So don't confuse that little group of Jews with Jews. Jews are human beings created in the image of God. They were God's chosen people. Uh, they are still beloved of God and beloved of us. So let's watch our language. But this small group of their leaders was intent on wiping out Jesus from the earth. In fact, in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus had just raised Lazarus before uh, all of the, the anger begins to really pour out of Jerusalem. And he gathered so many leaders that in the raising of Lazarus, in that chapter, it says that when some people heard that he had raised a man from the dead, they immediately conspired on how to kill him. Once again, not the common people. Common people don't think like this. It's the people that have great power and want to keep it. It's the people that have uh, the money that comes from power that want to keep it because there is nothing anybody in power wants more than more power and to stay in power. And they looked at Jesus and the people loved him and he loved them and this was dangerous to them because if so many people had heard of Jesus healing the blind man and the raising of Lazarus, the whole city was filled with buzz. This could be our Messiah. This could be the anointed one. And they had another name for that. This could be our king. Oh, they're excited. Now, it's hard for us to take a trip back in time 
to, and across a ton of cultural lines here, but we have to at least make the effort. Kings are a foreign concept, literally, to Americans. You fought a war to get rid of them. Now, we could argue all day that you may have replaced them with a permanent bureaucracy and political leaders and celebrities, but let's, let's just lay that aside. This is Palm Sunday. Why would anyone, let alone an entire city, be excited beyond words that they're finally getting a king? When technically they already had a king and an emperor over that king. Well, we need to go back further in time, don't we? For the first many generations of Israel, they were led by the oldest male in the family. That was called the patriarch. As the families grew, the tribe grew, then they were led by judges, somebody appointed to be the adjudicator of right and wrong and to settle disagreements. Uh, one of which was a woman, a woman was a woman, was a woman named Deborah, uh, who had some amazing uh, reputation and some amazing actions, uh, quite the, the hero she was. However, uh, these judges held their position by consent of the people. The people didn't do an election. They just walked up to somebody and said, you're the man, or with Deborah, the woman, we all respect. You're the one we want to listen to. Please be our judge. And then the last of these judges was also the first of a line of prophets, Samuel. By that time in their history, however, people didn't like the judge system. And they didn't really look upon the prophets as a substitute for a ruler. They wanted a king. They wanted, you know, everybody else has a nice shiny king. We want a king. Well, God and Samuel were both distressed by this. And they tried to get Israel to realize, if, if you get a king, you're going to regret this. You've already got a king. You've got God. That's the only king you're going to need. If you get a human king, it, you're, going to, you're going to have societal collapse. You're going to have all kinds of pain. You're, you're not going to like this. Mm. But the people insisted, well, other people have a king. We want a king. They want a visible king. Now think about this. Are you aware when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments from God, down below Aaron built the golden calf and people were bowing down and worshiping the calf, that they were not bowing down and worshiping the calf. They were worshiping Jehovah. They just wanted a visible representation of God. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, if I was going to do a representation of God, it'd be a lot more like uh, Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel uh, painting of God reaching over and creating man finger to finger there. Why would you do a cow? I would submit Michelangelo was as far off as the cow people were. And back in that day, a cow was a sign of wealth protection for the future and for the present. You had milk, you had uh, the chance of more cattle coming eventually. Uh, and you had, when it all went south, at least you got to eat the cow. So that was looked upon as provision, favor, and a secure future. And so they wanted a visible representation of Jehovah. And God has always said, don't do that. Well, they wanted a visible king. God warned them. In 1 Samuel 8, and you really should take time to read that. In 1 Samuel 8, he warned them that a human king would claim to help them, claim to love them, 
claimed to protect them. But when reality, he says, he will draft your sons for war and he will make them servants to his war horses and chariots. He would make your children work his fields, harvest his crops. He would take your daughters to be his cooks, to be his servants. He will take the best part of your fields and goods. He will tax you and tax you more and more and more and making you work harder and longer. God was right. The people still said, no, we, we want a king. We want a king. So they got one. And then they got another one. By the time they got the third one, things were already sliding on that edge of being so taxed out of, out of proportion to what they could pay that they were on the breaking point. And then the fourth king came along and the nation broke. They resolved into two entities that hated each other. You want to talk about a divided political landscape. Each of them anointed their own king. Each of them looked upon the other as the hateful, evil one. And because they were separated, they were weak. And because they were divided, they had left each other open to be enslaved by a series of foreign kings. All obliterated, if you're talking about the ten tribes in the north, eventually absorption into the entire human DNA. Then we can't find them. The ten tribes are gone. The little ones that remained in the in the south, they survived, but man, they were put into all kinds of slavery. They were taken away into captivity. And even when they come back, they're ruled by an emperor out of Rome. And a man who, look at this, claims not only to be their king, but their God. Throughout hundreds of years, suffering, suffering under the yoke of bad kings, foreign kings, local kings, kings of different countries that overthrew the king, the foreign king that was there before. The people kept crying out for a righteous king, a holy king, a king that would be good for the people. They wanted, they wanted back the good old days of God's direct rule over them. They longed for salvation, for justice, for fairness, for protection, and for deliverance. We find ourselves having a hard time longing for a king. But at the same time, this is a year of elections. Take a look at the people that just go nuts about waving the signs and uh, can't, can't wait to slap another bumper sticker on the car and put, do the buttons and the funny hats at the convention thing. They live for this and all march in the streets. I think in some sense, we get the concept of longing for a king as long as there are king. But to most of us who've actually seen kings, they are just rich people, sometimes bad people, other times just doddering, old, irrelevant men waving from a carriage. We have no desire to have another one. There are times, however, in our literature uh, and in our history where we find that kings were actually a good thing, at least for a while. For example, um, there's, I'm not intimating there's history to this. In the Robin Hood legend, the reason the Sheriff of Nottingham was able to so persecute the people was because the king was gone. King Richard was in the Crusades fighting for the Holy Land and 
doing horrible things to people, by the way. But when he came back to England, he shut down the sheriff and that whole system. The people were longing for him to come back and set things to right. Um, historically, he didn't. He came back, looked around a while, left, went back to another war. There you go. Or J.R.R. Uh, Tolkien's um, The Return of the King. They, we want a particular kind of king. So what kind of king did they want? They wanted the one that got promised a long time ago, back in Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to read verses 2 through 10. It's a rather long reading, so if you want to open your Bibles, go there. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Talk about this new king. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, that's a kingly line, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. His place of rest. And yes, when King Jesus came, what did he tell people? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, you'll find rest for your souls. That's a very different kind of king. We've not seen one like that before or since. Back to Palm Sunday. So as the people saw Jesus heading toward the entrance of Jerusalem, they rejoiced because they knew the prophecies. And they, they also knew the kings always before they were crowned rode a young, a young donkey colt that had never been uh, ridden before into the gates of Jerusalem. Now to us, donkeys are funny things. To them, they weren't. This was serious business. So here they're rejoicing. This is the guy that, that heals the sick, that has raised the dead. This is the guy that loves us, that lifts the burdens of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's not even afraid of King Herod. Herod, who killed his cousin, John the Baptist, Jesus is not even afraid of him. He's afraid of nobody. We've seen him in the temple courts. He goes head to toe against anybody and argues against their laws and argues for love. They saw Jesus as being the answer to their prayers. The king, who would be this Isaiah 11 king. They'd prayed for this king for generations while they suffered, praying in the dark watches of the night. They were stuck on Friday. Now we always talk about that this time of year. In a normal church calendar, this coming Friday, we would gather for a Good Friday service. 
And I always wondered as I was a boy, why would they call it Good Friday? Now, we didn't gather for Good Friday because when I was a boy, we thought only Catholics did that and therefore it was suspicious. Sorry. Well, why did we call it good though when that was the anniversary of Jesus being crucified? Well, it's because it was good news for the universe. Bad news for Jesus, yes, and for some of his followers. But because he was willing to die, he beat death. He is the king. He is Christus Rex. He is the king over all things because he defeated death. So it's good for us, but it was a horrible dark night for them because they didn't know Sunday was coming. And we've often, uh, for what, 20 years now, played that clip, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Because so many of us are stuck on Friday. We see the darkness. We see the problems. We see the virus. We see the lockdowns. We see the fear. We see the loss of jobs. And, and none of this am I waving away. All of this is dead serious, painful hurtful. It is shattering people's dreams and lives. And because of the season we're going through right now with the illness in, amongst our, the, our nations, we're going to be stuck on Friday for a little while. Next Sunday, we're still going to talk about Easter, yes. And we're going to celebrate as much as we can via all of our platforms. But it won't be the same, will it? Not until we're finally given the clearance that it is safe to gather. Remember, we're not gathering because we're afraid of catching a bug. We're afraid of giving a bug to the susceptible, the older, the weak among us. We're staying home because we love each other, not because we're afraid of a bug. Remember that. But we're still stuck on Friday until we're released, all right? But here he comes, here comes Jesus. Not Friday yet, it's all the way back Sunday. What they didn't know was while they had been rejoicing and getting excited, Jesus had been crying. Jesus had privately cried over the city. He knew he was going to disappoint them. Sometimes, uh, and, and more often than it should, I would think this isn't a, a passive aggressive call for compliments. I've had people come up to me and they put me on this pedestal and they'll say, oh, you do this and you calm us down. And, this, and, and I'm always hesitant and I try to remind them, don't put me so high that I won't survive a fall because I'm going to disappoint you. I, I am. I have no interest or desire in ever disappointing a one of you. And yet if I stay around you long enough, I will disappoint every single one of you and you will disappoint me because that's the way life goes. Jesus was gonna disappoint these people because they wanted a king. Underline this in your head, write this down. If you have to hit pause, do so. They wanted a king who would save them without sanctifying them, who would save them at no cost to them. They were expecting a king who would remove all of their problems. There, yes, there are studies out there that say people who pray and people who gather uh, for worship, people who are in a community of faith, live longer and, and somewhat healthier lives than the general population. But frankly, I'm not very sure that's helpful information because God is 
our God. And God is our king, not so that we can be happy and healthy. He is our king because he's king. He's God because he's God, not because he makes us happy and makes sure we have a really pleasant day. That's not his job. His job is righteousness, justice, and mercy. And he does his job because he, and he's the only one who can, because he's the only God we've got. But it's going to cost him something. And it's going to cost us something. Jesus' expectations were very different from those of the crowd. He was expecting arrest. He was expecting the whip, the crown of thorns, the beating, the humiliation, the nails. He was expecting all of that. That wasn't on their radar, but he knew the cost of saving us. He was also expecting something else. And this is where I really want to bring this home for us. He was expecting something of himself. He was expecting to live righteously and faithfully, regardless of the journey laid out before him. Regardless of nails and whips and regardless of what the soldiers would say to him and regardless of what uppity religious leaders would say to him to humiliate him. Regardless of being stripped naked because you didn't, they didn't put clothes on you. They took them off and hung there just a foot or two above the ground is all. The, the pictures that are really high crosses, total fantasy. They, they didn't waste wood. Your feet would sometimes be inches from the ground so that people could see the humiliation, the pain, the blood, the beating. And Jesus was expecting to live righteously through that. He expected that of himself. He laid that as an obligation upon him. This was his cup. This was his job. This is why he was here and he was going to do it well. This is why he would tell Peter in John chapter 18, verse 11, to put that sword away because he's not here to protect him. Don't protect Jesus. Let him do his job. And in Luke 22 and verse 42, whenever he talks to God, but then he wraps it up by saying, you know, not my will, thine be done. Why? Jesus had placed himself as a man under orders in Philippians 2, he humbled himself to take on this job and he expected himself to live righteously. And brothers and sisters in Christ, God expects you to live in faith, joy, mercy, generosity, sharing righteous lives, even now, especially now. If the world is getting darker, your job is to shine brighter, period. You, you feel isolated? We are not Elijah in the cave here, though. We're aware that there are all these other people around us because we have media. Elijah was in a cave thinking he was the last one left who loved God. You, you aren't, and you aren't isolated because God has connected you to this and to so many other people. Don't worry. Cave days are limited. The people would quickly turn on Jesus because he disappointed them. Some would even call out for him 
to be taken off the board, to be killed, so then the real king would show up, the one they really wanted. And it's why those who loved him did not riot to save him, because they too were fearful and confused and disappointed. They were expecting, let's not play with words, they were demanding a king who would fix their lives, who would free them, who would make them happy. And Jesus was establishing a kingdom that demanded and expected faithfulness and righteousness in the middle of dark times, in the shadow of a cross. That's not the king they wanted, but it's the only king who is. Because Jesus was faithful, we are saved. And the darkness is rolled away. All that we could have wanted, all that we could have wanted and more was supplied by that king who rode into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday. Those of us here today have not yet completed our journey. We're alive. We have miles to go before we sleep, to borrow a line from the American poet, Robert Frost. But we have a king who's gone before us. The path is not unmarked. It has been laid out for us. We have a king who's shown us how to live faithfully in the face of darkness, pain, and personal loss. Because we know that light and joy awaits those who finish the journey he laid out for us. We finish well. So enter Holy Week. I miss you. Fourth Avenue is my family. You're the people I think about every day. You would be really surprised how many times I have prayed for you by name, individually. You might not even think I know you, but my eyes see, my ears hear, and I pray for you. You are a delight to me. We had a couple young ladies serenade us from our front yard yesterday. They wouldn't get close. It touched our hearts so much. It was hard to even talk. We love each other. But this is a time where we get to show it in different ways and where we will be righteous this holy week. And in fact, why not? Let's turn this entire month into holy month. We want to be a people who honestly say we have no king but Jesus. We have no God but God. We have no Savior but the Lord Jesus, the Christ. He is our Lord, and he is the long-awaited King, and we will ask for no other, and we will bow only to him. Have a blessed Holy Week. I look forward to where we can say things like that to each other face to face, and that day will come. God bless you all. Cheers.